Hey guys, I'm Elise Lunen, Chief Content Officer over here at Goop and co-host with Gwyneth of the Goop Podcast. My guest today is Jasmine Hemsley, who I love and had a chance to catch up with at our last InGoop Health Summit in London. Before we get to our chat, though, I want to give a quick thanks to our friends at the Diamond Producers Association, who made this episode possible. The jewelry women wear is entirely personal, and it's often the story behind the diamond earring, ring, or bracelet that makes the piece all the more important to us. For different newsletter stories, the Goop editors have interviewed women about the first natural diamond they ever bought themselves, or the most special one. Sometimes these self-gifts were a long time coming, and others happened seemingly on a whim, but they all ended up marking a special moment in time to celebrate. Why are we drawn to natural diamonds in this way? I think part of it is that they come from the earth, they're rare and finite, and of course beautiful, and as someone who leans toward minimalism, I think it's also because diamonds are one of the few things that become more valuable to you the more you wear them, because they're timeless. To learn more about natural diamonds, visit realisadiamond.com. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Jasmine Hemsley is the co-founder of Hemsley & Hemsley in East by West. She's also the best-selling author of East by West, an incredible cookbook full of comfort food recipes that follow Ayurvedic principles. Jasmine is a big proponent of the Ayurvedic philosophy. In part, she explains, because Ayurveda is a philosophy that understands nature and that helps us understand that we're a part of nature too. Today, we talked about what this looks like in the kitchen for Jasmine and how she uses the doshas as a sort of toolbox to help figure out what to eat and when to eat. Maybe what I love most about Jasmine, though, is that her approach is not about deprivation. She reminds us, often, to cut ourselves some slack and enjoy food whether that's fish and chips at the airport or homemade kachari. So there's a balance to everything. And it's all of these things together that make up this holistic way of living. And so although it can feel overwhelming for myself, who's got into this very, very slowly over 20 years, I feel like I have a toolbox. Okay, let's get to my chat with Jasmine Hemsley. Well, thanks for being here. I know you're hopping around Glastonbury <laughs> and back. Oh, I'm still in my Glastonbury gear. Poor Elise. <laughs> I gave her a big I'm into it. hug. Are you catering? <laughs> I, I joined forces with a company, Yertel, who have the posh glamping site. And uh, we did East by West recipes for the five days of Glastonbury. Well, six days of Glastonbury, actually. And so I've just been overseeing it and... Dashing here and there. Dashing here and there and eating a lot of good food. I have to say, the chefs pulled it off brilliantly. 
I think it's amazing that we're at a time in the culture when you can go to a festival and it's not like fryer donuts oh and corn dogs. It's taken a long time for the UK, but we, you know, I, I really feel like we're embracing a whole new way of party. Yeah. So funny. I almost wonder, I'm sure there would be, I'm just thinking this is not the equivalent, obviously, but my family, my mom's family is from Iowa and the Iowa State Fair is it's probably even famous here. It's but like, yeah, I've heard mm-hmm. of them. They sound fun. It's incredible, but it's literally like from a food perspective. It's like when they carve Michael Jackson out of butter and they have like oh, cows that, that are the largest <laughs> in the world. Yeah, they make a butter statue every year. The year I went, it was Michael Jackson. But the food is, it's turkey legs. Yeah. And, and you have um, giant turkeys, don't giant you? Giant turkeys. So it's like people walking around with gigantic turkey legs and then fried Twinkies. Oh, my God. It sounds like the Flintstones. Do you it's know who a, they are? Of course I know okay. who the Flintstones are. <laughs> yeah, the food is next level, bizarre. Yeah. But um, there's definitely nothing Ayurvedic happening. No, no. This, well, this was a lovely kind of mix from my cookbook and people loved it. So they had the kind of Yertel offering that they've had you know, the whole time they've been going with my menu alongside and it's been very, very popular. So yeah. because it really, you know, what I do is kind of comfort food. You know, a lot of people, when they think about healthy food, think rabbit food or food that's just not exciting or just feels so good it t- can't taste good. But actually it's just about freshly cooked, comforting bowls of easy to digest food. Totally. I think that's one of the biggest myths that we're kind of moving past in the mm. States, but certainly was, you know, at the beginning of Goop, there what people wanted to equate it with deprivation. And it was always this conversation about the annual detox and exactly that rabbit mm. food mm. and and s- sort of paucity and mm. weight loss. And it's like, no, that's not the point. Mm. Sometimes it happens, but the point is really to eat good, clean food and you can eat more of it yeah. and feel sated. And I think now, I mean, for us Londoners, society is beginning to shift to make that an easy move. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think twice about if you can get, for example, a grass-fed burger over meat that's not come from this country. It's it's kind of a no-brainer, and it's and it's a it's a you know you pay a little bit extra, but you know why you're paying for it. So I feel like there's you know there's more education, there's more awareness. I mean, veganism, vegetarianism has just exploded. And you walk into any restaurant now and it's quite normal to be able to say, and I know this, you've, you know, in the States, this has been something you've, you've been able to do for a long time. But in the, in the UK, not only are we shy to say it, but we don't realize we can, is to say, can I have that on the side? Or do you mind if I swap this out for that? Or I can't eat this for this reason or for not even telling a reason. And yeah, everyone, there's, a, there's a, just a bigger conversation around food. And I think it's really fun. Yeah, no, I agree. So I now, now have known you for a while, but... And we've certainly done things with you on Goop over the years. But what's your origin story? How did you get interested in food? And then I know you sort of took a, you veered into Ayurveda. And now you're one of the leaders of this movement over here. Gosh, how did I get here? Okay, so the background is I'm half Filipino English. So I am. That's why you're so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, mom and dad. Um, (laughs) I am East by West, if you like, which is the name of my third cookbook, my first solo project. Why have I always been into food? I think my parents are quite into food. Not foodies that look out for restaurants, but they just, they love different cultures. They love to try things. And so I grew up always tasting different foods. And so I think I had quite a good palate. I think I was quite interested in cooking shows. 
And this was a time, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there wasn't really anywhere to eat out. So I think in order to be able to taste what I was seeing on the TV, I had to cook it. Mm-hmm. My mum has really cooked for most of our lives and if not my aunties have she's worked full-time always but you know she's only ever known home-cooked food there was definitely a change through the 90s as the microwave came in and more convenience foods came in and it was around that time that I started to notice that those foods didn't make me feel so good Mm -hmm. so even though it was so fun to go to the local supermarket and have all kinds of different cuisine in plastic wrapped boxes that go into the microwave I kind of felt a sense of that doesn't necessarily make me feel good And then going to university, when I suddenly started to eat a diet of cheese toasties for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack for a few months, and I suddenly felt the difference throughout my body, so much tiredness, massive mood, energy drops, I realized that kind of home cooked is best. And actually my my university roommates and I, we started to club together to buy our food together and to to take turns each week to cook a dinner, you know, a meal for the for the whole household which is really nice. And then I came back and I started to model full time. And by then, you know, eateries had exploded across London and greater London where I'm from. And even though things looked healthy, lots of salads, etc., I again felt that they weren't really doing it for me. And I think that that's, you know, that was really tuning into how much prana or energy those foods have. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not cooked by people you know or people that you love. The, the ingredients might not even come from the country. You know, they sit on a shelf in cold refrigeration and, you know, raw is not necessarily great for us. So over the years, being interested in, you know, my mood, my energy because of the kind of jobs I've had, I started to research and the kind of philosophy that kept coming up and answering my questions, even though I'd never heard of it from anyone else, was Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. So Ayurveda being this science or knowledge of life that comes from the East, comes from India, same origins as yoga. You know, it made me understand why if I ate really late at night, I woke up feeling really, really hungry or with some kind of indigestion. Whereas if I ate early, I had a really good night's sleep and the next morning wasn't governed by at what moment can I eat breakfast. I could actually meditate or I could go for a run or I could do yoga and then eat breakfast without it kind of having, um, you know, its grip on me. Mm-hmm. And then other things that made sense yeah, just eating lighter, eating my main meal at lunchtime and then cooked food. Why my mother's home-cooked stewy, soupy foods really felt good in my body than what was the current idea of health, which was low fat, low calorie and lots of raw. And cold, yeah. And cold, yeah. Yeah, I had sort of my Ayurvedic revelation and I I should be better about it, but and I was I knew about it, but when I went I went to India to do panchakarma and Talked to an Ayurvedic doctor who, died, you know, figured out my dosha, and he was essentially like, you know, what do you eat? And like most people of our age, I was like, salad, yeah. clearly. And he was like, that is the worst. I'm primarily vata. Me too. <laughs> and uh, he was like, warm food only. Yes. Like you need to literally, if you're going to eat salad, you cook it. I was like, yes. that's disgusting. But um, <laughs> A sautéed salad. I've got some in my book. <laughs> I actually had one for lunch yesterday. But that's Vaidyas or Ayurvedic doctors. Uh, the, the, you know, some of them I've met and I've asked. And they said that the thing that baffles them the most is Western women eating salads. Yeah. 
they've said that it's causing all kinds of issues, digestive issues. Totally. And um, I and being I'm a victim of that where I was like, I never can go to the bathroom. Sorry, TMI, but mm. I know people have been listening to me for that a while. That was me so at university. Yeah, they don't mind. <laughs> On those but, cheese toasties. Yeah. But I I was like, I don't understand. I consume so much roughage. So much roughage. Yeah. Like an inordinate I can eat like a massive clamshell of spinach mm. in a mm. day. And he was like, soup. Yeah. And soup it, that stuff. Yeah, I mean, soup. I mean, things like spinach and some cruciferous vegetables we don't even want to be eating raw, yeah. really, or too much raw. I mean, if you're a digestive fire, so this is what's been such a, a big thing for me and what I really want to get across, because I think Ayurveda, for a lot of people, is quite fascinating. But, and for those that haven't heard of it... Yeah, can you, know, you take us through? I'll take you through. So I, I talk about it as being, it's, it's the mother of natural medicine. It is, Ayurveda is a philosophy that understands nature and it helps you to understand that you are nature. So it's like the guidebook for being in this universe, if you like. And you begin to understand things through your senses at first and then in a, you know, a really intuitive way. So in the same way that we intuitively take off our jumper when we're feeling hot or put it back on when we're feeling cool, you know, we kind of can tweak our diet to suit the weather outside, how we're feeling in that weather, um, you know, really how we sit in our environment. So although you and I are both Vata dominant, and actually we live in very Vata environments because we're, you know, we're in business, we're constantly surrounded by stimulation, we talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we talk, talk, I don't know how to pause there. Um, we talk a lot. We can get Vata aggravated, but actually the Vata aggravation can happen to Kapha types and Pitta types because anything, you know, flying, travel, screens, all of these things can aggravate Vata. And so we need to understand all three doshas. It's very interesting to understand ourselves. So the doshas um, in Ayurveda are three energies that really govern everything. They're in everything. Everything's made up of these three in different ratios. So this... This screen in front of us is is plastic screen. Plastic and metal is made up of the doshas, if you like. I can say the same thing about this light source, this desk, this carpet, our trainers, our bodies, our minds. Um, you can describe them being, you know, vata, which is very airy, spacey, cold, dry, rough, fast. Pitta, which is hot, spreading, fiery, acidic, if you like. And kapha, which is earth and water. It's very damp and heavy and grounded, very earthy. And so you can kind of use those as almost like we use red, yellow and blue mm -hmm. and the, those colors being in everything. And so we're just using them as descriptors and the opposite. So, for example, for Vata, we need more kapha and pitta experiences and lifestyle choices uh, and foods to really balance our vataness. So if that sounds complicated to you. Don't worry, because actually the biggest rule to understand is really to understand your own Agni, which is your digestive fire. So Agni means fire in Sanskrit. And that fire is what we refer to now as our digestive system and which has kind of hit the headlines over the last couple of years as being, you know, the center for health. Mm -hmm. Ayurveda knew this three to 5,000 years ago. So did traditional Chinese medicine. So did Hippocrates, you know, 370 years BC. And it's only just become apparent for us in the modern world as a, as a way for the consumer to understand things very recently. So if your digestive capacity, your agni is not strong, then eating iced foods, iced water, too much food, too much hard to digest food on that fire, you're going to put your fire out. Mm -hmm. And that's why we could tuck into the most incredibly 
delicious, nutritious meal, but if the fire has gone out or it's burning low, that meal just kind of sits there and almost goes off and creates what we call ama in uh, Ayurveda. So that kind of toxic feeling of heavy, sluggish, you know, aching in the joints, that feeling when you wake up in the morning of your ankles not really working very well, uh, the headaches, the, the mucus. Yeah, kind of what we call toxins in the West. So what we need to burn out that ama is a really strong digestive fire. And to look after that digestive fire, if we humans live in a more, ryth- you know, in a rhythm that fits the rhythm of nature, i.e. not having your lunch at four in the morning, but having it at 12 or between 12 and two in the afternoon when your digestive fire is is at its highest, you're going to get so much more out of your food and conserve so much more energy. And that's just something that we, you know, suffer from in the West. We Our energies are scattered mm-hmm. and we take two seconds to eat a meal. And the combination is not great. Not great. <laughs> yeah, no, I like when you say we humans too, because sometimes I feel like we forget that we're animals. Yes. I mean, my dogs, I mean, I've got two Indian street dogs who you would think would just absolutely hoover up any food they've ever had because you know, I found them when they were starving. Now that they're on an even keel, when they're not hungry, they're not hungry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't always call it. You could have just taken them for a three hour run in the park and you'd think they'd be ravenous. But no, their body's tired. They want to sleep. And so they, you know, when you know your food source is safe, you actually revert more to what your body needs. And so as humans, we, we, you know, we have, I think, seven basic needs of shelter, food, water, oxygen, you know, touch, etc. But when they're kind of catered for, which, you know, many people listening to this podcast have a roof over their heads, you know, maybe hopefully have a job, have some kind of source of income, have food, have water, we can then look to kind of a philosophy of life to live with more meaning, mm-hmm. you know, because we're not about surviving anymore. It's about thriving. And I think it's plain to see we're suffering from many modern ailments that are almost kind of contradictory to mm-hmm. how, how. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. When it comes to putting together your home, a great rug can make all the difference. A rug is really what pulls a room together and creates harmony. Nordic Knots offers a curated collection of rugs and timeless, high-quality essentials. They collaborate with leading designers and are the insider rug brand gracing some of the world's most beautiful homes. They have a wide-ranging collection, but we'll just talk about a few favorites today. The luxurious Grand Collection is known for its simple design, stunning colors, and high-quality wool. But if you're feeling a bit more bold, their designer collaborations are made with world-renowned designers and interior architects. Their Goodweave certified rugs are handmade and woven in all natural materials, like their super soft and beautiful New Zealand wool. At Nordic Knots, they make the process of rug shopping easy and enjoyable. And they always offer fast and free shipping from the U.S. To explore their rug collections, head to nordicknots.com. Use promo code INNERCIRCLE to get free rug samples. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. How lucky we are. Just a second, we're taking a quick break. I believe that jewelry stores energy and emotion, and that certain pieces of jewelry can carry subtle messages with them. I think about this with diamonds, which are, of course, such a symbol themselves in our culture. 
At the end of the day, natural diamonds are really gemstones that nature has been creating and forming and shaping for billions of years. They are inherently rare and finite, and in their DNA is a pretty incredible history of the Earth, which is one reason why it's important that they're recovered responsibly from the Earth. When you hold a natural diamond, you're essentially holding a wonder of nature in your hand. And I like that diamonds become more valuable and meaningful over time. They're durable and they never lose their brilliance, which is not the case with most things in life, right? I think this is all part of what makes a diamond a compelling gift to give yourself. Whether that's to celebrate a life milestone, like a birthday or a new baby, or to mark the beginning of a new job or relationship or the end of a significant project. Or, you know, just because. To learn more about natural diamonds, visit realisadiamond.com. Okay, let's hear more from Jasmine Hemsley. That's such an interesting distinction, surviving versus thriving, too, mm. because I feel like culturally we're at this inflection point of still many are not, don't feel like they're surviving, like their base needs aren't met. Mm. And then you have people who are who who are beyond surviving who are trying to thrive and that also feels like an affront. Yeah. And I don't know how to fix that. No. It's I think I mean in some ways I like we can look at what's happening in the world and it can be very very disheartening, very mm-hmm. very disheartening. But at the same time, you know, everything there's a balance to everything. So as much as social media we've got to be so careful about it and information overload we have to be so careful but at the same time we if we're interested can access information Mm -hmm. and make changes and share those changes with our friends family and our groups very very quickly so just even looking at how a 5p cost on a plastic bag has decent you know has wiped out 99 percent of the plastic bags that we were buying when we were shopping that we were sorry that we were taking for free when we were shopping yeah you know overnight that really made a difference and now I see people including myself who've just popped into a supermarket didn't plan to but now grabbing something for dinner and are walking home kind of with a few items piled I do that all the time absolutely adamant they're not going to be seen to buy a plastic bag and I, I just I feel like it is an exciting time because well-being this huge 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 business is coming back full circle and full circle is means whole you know yeah. whole holistic healthy all of those words have the same origin and you know when i give presentations on ayurveda i say you know let's look at the well-being world what's 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 in fashion right now what might you've heard of fermented foods sauerkraut kimchi uh, probiotics prebiotics supplements enemas massage reiki acupuncture or acupressure tongue cleaning uh, oil pulling uh, things like, what else can I say? Massage, pranayama, yoga, intermittent fasting, circadian rhythm, all these things, all these terms and, and trends, if you like, that we're experiencing, they're all Ayurveda. Right. But we in the West love to take one item, brand it, turn it into the be-all and end-all. Totally. And People, then reject and then wholesale, re- <laughs> like anything Eastern <laughs> exactly. as being woo-woo and outside exactly. of science. And, you know, the thing is, fermented foods, great but if you eat too much, you've got a problem, you right. know, and, and, and quite an immediate problem for a lot of people, but also long-term problems as well. If you have too much pranayama, if not done correctly, can be detrimental to yourself, you know, the, the way the way we um, do the breathwork techniques that are in yoga. Uh, too much yoga, too much of the wrong type of yoga is not great for us. So there's a balance to everything, and it's all of these things together that make up this holistic way of living. And so although it can feel overwhelming, 
for myself, who's gone into this very, very slowly over 20 years, I feel like I have a toolbox so that when I travel and I can't cook and I don't really have choice in the airport, I can say, how's my digestive capacity? What time of day is it? What will I feel good eating? And then I make that choice and it's usually not a raw prepackaged salad before I'm flying or post-flying. And I'll sit. Is it cheesy bread? It's cheesy bread. I don't even know what that is. Is that cheese on toast? I don't know. (laughs) You know, it might be fish and chips. At least it's been kind of made there. It's hot. You know, it's lunchtime. It's gonna, it's gonna fill a hole. I'm gonna really enjoy it because you know the the state that we eat our food in is everything as well. So if I'm gonna, you know, absolutely dislike a smoothie that's got all kinds of concoctions in and it's ice cold and it's been blended up in a power blender that's probably whipped out at the pranic energy and then I just gulp it down with my nose shut off and shock my digestive system by pouring this thick cold gloopy glug on it is that good for me I don't think so yeah no I love the intention too because I think it's part of the balance I just did a the prolon fast which I like to do like once a year mm-hmm. just to get the autophagy going. And I love Dr. Longo. I think he's brilliant. And But it, when I was doing it, I was like, oh, this is boring and kind of miserable. But it also just is in a weird, perverse way, a celebration of how much I love to eat and yes. how much I love food. Like I was so excited. I the When I finished, I was like, to my husband, I was like, we're going on a date breakfast. <laughs> like before work, you're going out for breakfast And it's with like me. eating it's breakfast date night. for the first time oh, ever, yes. isn't it? I, I have done f- many fasts over over the years and I do something called a, uh, a cleanse and reset, which you can access on my website at every seasonal change. So I've just done one as we've come into summer and um, also at the, you know, the Gregorian calendar New Year, which is a bit strange being smack back, bang in the middle of winter. doesn't really kind of fit with the calendar, the, the, the calendar of the sun and the moon. And all I do in those days is I ha- I make uh, golden milk for, for any one of my meals or a kitchari, which is a mung bean and dal, a, a mung uh, dal basmati rice kind of risotto porridge, savory with lots of spices and herbs. Um, and then stewed apples, again, with lots and lots of spices like um, star anise, cinnamon, uh, cardamom, ginger. And I kind of choose which of those I'll have for each meal, depending how I feel. So I'm only really making three dishes over three days and a kind of herbal tea, maybe like a coriander seed, fennel and cumin, which is really good for your digestive fire. And then I just calm everything right down. I mean, I don't watch TV anyway, but I calm down my diary. I calm down, you know, appointments. If there's a yin yoga class, I might go to that. Otherwise, I'm in the park or I'm horizontal on my floor or I'm doing some light reading. Oh, it's just a total reset. My taste buds just, you know, you go through a kind of a, depending how, you know, the last time I ate kachuri, I'll go for it. Oh, I don't really want this or, oh, mm, this isn't doing it for me. But actually, I kind of look at it and think, this is a bowl of really good food. And mm-hmm. I'm very grateful to have this. Because the thing about having our very modern, overstimulated lives is we look to jump from one thing to another. Mm-hmm. And so we get bored very easily, which is crazy. Because if you look at cultures, they pretty much ate the same thing for breakfast and lunch sometimes or breakfast, lunch and dinner. Mm -hmm. And we have the audacity to go around saying, I don't want to eat that today or I don't feel like that. So we have to recognize that in those in those statements, we're actually lucky buggers. No, totally. (laughs) I mean, I spent a summer in Kenya living with this family in this remote village. Wow. And it was an incredible experience because just hearing you say that because it was this type of green 
vegetable, mm-hmm. leafy green vegetable that they would cook in tons of lard. Okay. Which was really terrifying to me, but that was it. That's what we ate every day. With some maize or with some, with anything? You could get sort of like grilled corn on the side of the road yeah. and maybe get sick. So we would do that when we were like on the weekends when we were traveling to all gather. It was like mm-hmm. a group of college kids. But in the family, that's what we ate. Just this green vegetable and occasionally an egg. Oh, wow. The egg was a treat. Yeah. But in retrospect, I mean, yeah, like you when you have that sort of experience, you're like, I remember getting going to uh, the city for one weekend and getting a hotel room, which was so lavish and such a treat and getting ice cream that had probably been like thawed and frozen and thawed and frozen. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> But it was. I've had that and had a bad tummy. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it ended well for us. But it did, like in that yeah, context. Yeah, yeah. But it was. It was like, oh my god, this yeah. is the most amazing thing I've ever had. So when you're not fasting, what do you? How do you eat? So I am a lucky bugger in that I get to travel a lot. I've got a cafe in Selfridges just down the road, so I do a lot of tastings. I also cater for a lot of events with East by West food. And so I get to eat kind of nice treats then. I also get invited to a lot of restaurants. And if I do get invited, I say, can I go at lunchtime, please? Which they always find really bizarre because, you know, now in the West, we've we've kind of backloaded the day so that you have mm-hmm. a three-course meal if you go to a hotel or restaurant at 8 p.m. at night, which gives you no time to digest before bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also do that at lunchtime. When I'm at home, that's when I kind of go back to what I need to balance what I get when I go outside my door. So, for example, if I've been eating kind of rich or very or, or, or varieties of food or, or picking and tasting, which is not brilliant if you've got a low or an erratic digestive fire, which I do, being very, mostly vata, then I'll go back to the kitchery mm-hmm. or I'll go to milk rice or I'll go to, say, for example, I come in late. I did this last night, actually. I went out in Glastonbury. And, raging. Uh, ra- yeah, raging. Raging with hunger. <laughs> I went raving with some friends who um, we met up in the Glade and a uh, progressive house DJ called Hernand Cantana. Might have got that wrong. And so by the time you actually get back to your, your, your posh camping, the glamping, it's a good hour. I mean, this this site is vast. And so now it's about 11, 11.30 and I'm really, really hungry. And there's all manner of foods, including my own food available and I'm like, do you know what? I'm just going to order a golden milk. So I got an almond milk-based golden milk. So that's simmered with um, cinnamon, ginger, cardamom, black pepper, turmeric, hence the goldenness. And I've pretty missed one out there. And it kind of gives me enough food to kind of calm my stomach to get me to bed. It's also extremely grounding. You know, it's got a little mm-hmm. bit of jaggery to sweeten, which is um, kind of sugarcane juice that's been cooked down with all of its nutrients. It's really dark. It's got the molasses still in there, which is a kind of like, think think maple syrup to maple water, for example. And yeah, it was wonderfully grounding. The sweet taste is grounding. And that's why another reason why in this well-being world that we live in, when we start to, we went from penalizing fat to now penalizing sugar or sweetness, we're kind of missing the, we're missing the big picture. So that sweet drink was easy for me to digest, and then I slept really, really well. Had I got done the thing I used to do, which was dive into a full, I don't know, cheese board or meze platter or whatever they had, sleep wouldn't have been as great. Maybe mm-hmm. in my 20s when my digestive fire was stronger, but over the years through stress and, you know, we are the children of kind of antibiotics being given out 
mm-hmm. for every possible <laughs> reason. And I think it's clear to see that stress has a huge impact on digestion, whether we're talking right at the top with some reflux all the way down to the other end, which doesn't get talked about that much. Yeah. No, it's interesting, too. I feel like there's pressure in in the States. Like dinner, as you mentioned, is the meal. And I there are many times when I'm I sort of go against my own intuition, which is like I'm not that it's like sometimes I'm ravenous, but other times I'm really not that hungry. But then it's there and everyone else is eating it. I'm supposed to eat. Yeah. But the idea of having, and that's why soup has become yes. very appealing. Soup is. Because I'm like, I'll just have a little bit of soup. Yes, yeah, soup is really my go-to. You know, kitchery is like a, a thick, stewy risotto. And then the other thing is soup. Soup is the easiest way to consume vegetables, don't you think? Yeah, totally. And, and soup is the best way to consume vegetables. So when we have, you know, raw food, so we take three carrots. And um, in a laboratory, they test, you know, three raw carrots, fresh They test very high in their vitamins and, you know, um, nutritional profile. As soon as you cook them, you've lost 50%, let's say. But what is there is more bioavailable to you. Mm. And it doesn't tax the body. You know how that that mouthful of soup is so soothing. You know, that's why traditionally cultures all over the world have soups. It's hydrating. It's easy to digest. It's easy to cook. It breaks down all the cellulose structure of the vegetables so we can access everything easier. It feeds a crowd and it's great if you are young, elderly or weak, Mm -hmm. i.e. really low digestive fire. So soups are my big go-to. And then think about those three carrots in your soup. Now think about them raw and crunching into them. Who's got time to crunch three carrots properly? Mm -hmm. Someone once told me, and I forget who, so I can't credit them, but you want your food before you swallow it to be soup. Mm, that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so you need cooked food. I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're having a kachuri, for example, it's very easy to turn that into soup before you swallow it. You shouldn't be able to discern what it is. If you're swallowing lumps of broccoli or lumps of meat, you know, there are no teeth in your stomach. The surface area is very small for your digestive enzymes and acid to kind of work on. And so really pieces of food are traveling through your system that shouldn't really be at that stage you know? yeah. and really irritating the body. So some people might, people might think, oh, great, it's irritated and it gets flushed out. But, you know, your body doesn't like it. You're... So if you're kappa or pita, like, would is raw appropriate then or is it typically never a good idea? No, it's it's fine. It's, it's more about understanding, are you able to digest it? So for mm-hmm. a pita, generally they have quite good digestive fire. Pita runs hot. And a fire is hot. An aggravated pitta could have too much fire, which mm-hmm. you think, wow, yeah, isn't that like a super duper 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 metabolism? Well, actually, if the fire is too, too strong, like think of a bonfire, and you go and stick a stick in it, mm-hmm. it gets incinerated. Before the fire's even being able to kind of burn it and turn it into anything, bang, it's gone. So, you know, I'm, I do meet clients, you know, London is a very pitta-dominated world. Pitta is very kind of the, the leadership, the bossy, the mm-hmm. straight A to B, you know, black and white, gets things done. And you get, you know, a lot of pitta aggravated types. And then obviously the lifestyle, you know, lots of onion, garlic, you know, eating out, uh, wine, meat, all of these things are, are quite pitta-like. And I speak to clients, I say, how many times, you know, do you go to the toilet? Oh, I'm so regular. All, you know, I, go, I, go, I never have a problem. Okay, how many times a day do you go? Mm, two, three, four. What? Five. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I start showing them the Bristol stool chart and I say, which one are you? And they're like, 
the wet one. <laughs> because they're literally just burning that stuff and it's flushing through the system. So they're not even absorbing the nutrients. So we don't want a super duper 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 fire. Right. We want a lively agni. We want a lively fire. So in my book, I go through how, when, as well as what to I eat. cannot imagine going to the bathroom five yeah, times a people, day unless people. I had like the stomach flu. Yeah. <laughs> well, they almost kind of... Do? It, this is normal for so many. I know so many people, I'm not going to name you, don't worry, who really suffer like this. They have to be near a toilet or, yeah. or they, you know, they go at least three times when they wake up in the morning and they think it's healthy because it's, you know, it's regular. Whereas a lot of the what we talk about, you know, in the West is not going to toilet enough. So what's the ideal once a day? Once, twice, maybe three times a day. I mean, you think about babies when they, you know, it's one meal in, one meal out. Yeah. You know, everything's running. As we get older and realize we can't just dump it wherever we like, right. we start to regulate in our own way. But I would say ideal, and this is not, you know, Ayurveda is never about good and bad. And I am speaking as someone who is talking about Ayurveda, not as a I'm pressuring doctor. You. Yeah. Go in the morning. Yeah. So I recently posted on my Instagram is don't take your poo to work with you. You know, as, as you know, modern day humans, we wake up to an alarm, we jump in the shower, we throw a coffee down our system, we dash into work, all high energy, all gung-ho, all get through the day, totally masking how we really feel, which is usually shattered. And, and maybe only needing that coffee to kick in before we can actually go to the toilet. Yeah. What I've had to do in my lifestyle, which has worked really, really well, and by the way, I'm always working on this, you know, society is not that helpful in making me be able to maintain this routine is if I can get up at least two hours before I have to leave the house preferably as the sun rises even better pre-dawn that doesn't happen very often but let's just say 5 30 on in the summer you know can work really well for me I've gone to bed at 10 that's a good sleep I wake up I clean my tongue I oil pull in the shower and then by the time I get around to sipping some hot water I've done my number two if for any reason I have to dash out the house to get a taxi to go to the airport, that number two doesn't make an appearance until the next day, you know, and it mm -hmm. feels really heavy because that is the stuff your body wanted to get out. Yeah. But your your body has tensed up with the stress and locked you up. Yeah. No. So and then kapha, because I think I'm vata kapha probably. That's the... Earthy. Earthy. Earthy, moist, luscious grounded, down-to-earth. So kind of extremes of your vata cafes. That's not as common, actually, because you've got the airy space and then you've got the earthy water at the bottom. But, yeah, kapha types tend to be quite regular, mm -hmm. great skin, great hair, and they're the types that could do with a bit less fat in their diet and avoiding raw again. So both vata and kapha don't have the strongest digestive fires necessarily. In our optimum health, we all have great digestion. Mm -hmm. um, but vata and kapha have a tendency to for, for stress to hit that part of the system straight away. So kapha types, they could do with stimulation from body brushing. They could do with kind of... So I've got a vata pitta kapha salad in my book. And the kapha salad is all the area vegetables like the broccoli, the cauliflower, the greens, foods grown above ground because they're already grounded. That mm, makes sense. Yeah. But then I've grilled them or sautéed them so that they're cooked so that the digestive fire has a better chance at, um, at enjoying it. them. Exactly. Getting it through. And, and kapha types can take chili and coffee better than vata and pitta types. Vata and pitta are both highly stimulated. They don't 
necessarily need to be consuming much chili or coffee. Yeah. And the idea, too, is that you're typically, as you said, red, mm-hmm. red, yellow, blue, like you're everyone's variations. It, oh, we all, we are all of them. And that's why it's so important to know them all. Because, you know, when I am being bossy, uh, giving talks, running lectures, doing workshops, I turn into my pitta self because I'm Vata Pitta. And I get hot and bothered. But that's the only time that that really happens. When I go to Devon for Christmas, it's kaffir season in winter. I go down south. I hang out with my, um, my, my mother-in-law. She feeds me loads. I lie on the couch. I watch all the Christmas stuff for the first, you know, all the Christmas TV. And that's the time I become very sluggish and almost kaffir aggravated. And that's the time I can have a coffee and it really has helps. no, yeah, helps. It has no uh, negative effect. And that's the time I need to do a spin class or kind of a faster type of yoga. But in my general life, I avoid anything too stimulating. And so it really comes down, I think you mentioned this before, but to sort of have an intuitive sense of where you are yes. in that moment. A bit of, of time we need space. a bit of knowledge. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, anyone listening that wants to kind of get into Ayurveda, you know, when I first looked at it, this is in nine, 2000, I mean, I barely started yoga and the yoga was very much gym yoga. I hadn't heard of mantras or chakras or energy or any of these things. But there was so much stuff that made sense. So, you know, the reason I wrote the book, East by West, is because I wanted people to understand that, you know, they there is so much you can take from Ayurveda. It's not you're in or you're out. You don't have to do the whole shebang because every kind of habit that you take that goes in line with nature is always a positive. Mm -hmm. So even if you just start going, do you know what? I'm going to I'm going to try having my dinner at seven. I'm going to try having a soup and I'm going to try going to bed at 10. And that is my kind of default structure of my day. So when I'm not traveling, that's what I go back to. And that's what kind of helps me balance out this world. Yeah, no, I love that. I think anything too restrictive is not, obviously. No, and, and nothing is. Nothing is black and white, yes or no. Ayurveda yeah. doesn't say this is good or this is bad. It says this chocolate cake is 9 p.m. at night. You're quite wired. You need to go to bed. Chocolate cake, have it tomorrow. Yeah, or... You're on the road, have your fish and chips. Yeah, enjoy then... every mouthful, eat it slowly, chew it well, and be very grateful that you've got some some food. Yeah, and then when you get home, you can... Go back to my soups, go back to, you know, roasting my vegetables, my kitchery. You know, that is just, isn't that a much more romantic way to live? It is, because then you get to enjoy every bite. Oh, absolutely every bite. Thanks for joining my conversation with Jasmine Hemsley. For more on Jasmine, check out her books, East by West, Good and Simple, and The Art of Eating Well. You can find more at goop.com slash the podcast and on her site, jasminehemsley.com. That's J-A-S-M-I-N-E-H-E-M-S-L-E-Y. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back this Thursday for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.